0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me is Alec Hug. Now, Alec, we had some very interesting corporate news this week and I'm talking here obviously about Tonga Hewlett. We saw the uh, the re- board requesting a temporary suspension of the listing over some questions about the accuracy and fairness and reliability of their published financial results. Now, there's been quite a bit of coverage around this, but I have found it quite a difficult story to follow, and I can't really tell exactly what's going on. And I know you've done a lot of work on this and a lot of research. So could you lay out for us you know, what is happening, why did they request the suspension, and how worried should shareholders be?
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a heck of a story. And my friend Tim Modise, who used to work with us on Biz News and then uh, went full time into the broadcasting field, asked me to go along to ENCA on Friday evening uh, for his show there. And uh, he said he wants to talk about Tongot, So I've I've done a lot of work <laughs> in preparation for that, and and it's good that we can unpack it here. Just just by way of background, it uh, it was started in 1892. So for KwaZulu-Natal, it's always been the biggest or one of the biggest companies. I think recently Aspen got a little bit bigger than Tonga. but it's for the for the province it's it's uh it's it's iconic. Uh employs thirty one and a half thousand people, operates in South Africa, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, uh Iswatini and Botswana, and I think it's also got a, some operation in Namibia, primarily a sugar company. And what it decided to do some years ago was to start converting sugarcane fields into property development. So that's why, where uh, the liftoff went for Tongaat Hewlett. The, it was a very smart approach. You had all these sugarcane fields to the north of Durban, and they then have effectively built uh, what is now Mklanga, uh, the, the the hub or the new commercial hub of uh, KwaZulu-Natal and they have uh, a number of estates out there as well that they've converted from sugarcane fields. So all good. However, however, what has happened during all of this process is that it exposed Tonga to the vagaries of the property market and that's not very easy to get investors excited when you are up uh, one year and down the next. So over the time, over the past 10 years or so, there's been little things slipping in. Now, this you can only see from going back for it uh, on a 10-year basis on the accounts, but they've, they've started to capitalize more, uh, and that means just for people who aren't accountants, what you can do generally when you are investing in the long-term future of a business uh, for In this case, for instance, uh, growing little sugarcane plants, you have to, you have to uh, replace sugarcane every eight years. So as you're growing the little plants, w- the investment that you make in them in growing the, the, the new sugarcane can be what they call is capitalized. So the costs, you don't take them up front because you're going to get the benefits over eight years, so you capitalize it. But now that the, the danger here is that this thing can get out of control. Because it becomes an easy way to shift costs off your income statement, off your profit and loss account, into, a, into capitalizing them. And while you're capitalizing them, then you're growing your asset base. So your asset base looks, looks bigger than it is, and your profits look higher than it is. And it gets really dangerous when you start borrowing money, as Tonga Hewlett has done. Now, this company's uh, share price in 2015 was at 165 Rand a share. It was suspended, as you said, on the um, – I think it was the 10th of June at 13 Rand 21. So it's a negative, negative 10 – in fact, a negative 20 bagger. Uh, the, the, the holy grail in investing is to get a 10 bagger, get a share that goes up tenfold. This one has gone down 95%. So w- what's happened is that over the years, as they've been capitalizing more and inflating the balance sheet more, they have got out of control and also have been a little over-optimistic. Every year the, uh, the, the management would be asked what is, uh, what are you gonna, what's going to happen next year. For instance, with the sugar production, they've always been saying, we're going to make a million tons, a million tons from South Africa. And they've never got there. There's always been a problem here and a problem there. And uh, because of a charismatic chief executive um, in Peter Stada, a, a really solid uh, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, the uh, people believed him. And in June last year, a investment analyst at Investec uh, blew the whistle and said there's a problem here. Had we listened to him or those people who own Tonkot Hewlett shares, they would have sold the shares at 80 Rand a share rather than 13 Rand that it was suspended at. Uh, after he, blew the, he said that there was something wrong, um, a, a guy I know who's a, a shareholder in the company went and unpacked the financial results, then went to go and see – the, looked at it over a decade, then went to go and see the board of directors. Laid out to the board of directors that the cash flow uh, statement and the profit statement don't correlate very well. In other words, something funny is happening here because your profits are are growing at a uh, or, or showing one number, but you're, the cash isn't coming in. So what's happening? And they poo pooed him to begin with. Then there was a new chief executive that was appointed and took over at the beginning of this year, uh, an ex-SAB Miller guy called Gavin Hudson. He took over on the 1st of February. And immediately after that, he had he, – well, before he took over, uh, he started looking into the company for a strategic review. But very shortly after that, he came to the he, – he unpacked things. And I guess new chief executives' brooms do sweep very clean. And he uh, got, took fright at what he saw. So you've had investment analysts saying, there's a problem here. You had uh, a shareholder telling the board there's a problem here. And suddenly the board uh, woke up on, uh, in, in earlier this year, and in particular in March this year, and then started issuing statements. On top of all of this, they have a, a Black Economic Empowerment Scheme, a BEE scheme, which went Sour, so the B E shareholders should have had 20% or 18% to be specific of the company. They no longer had the 18% or the net, they had to pick up 9% of that each. Then you had a a, a situation that the, uh, so you got a, an overhang of stock there. And then you have a situation that on the 16th of May, the company realized that Uh, The it it wasn't going to be able to continue meeting its covenants. Now, when you are when you borrow money from the bank, the banks put in certain uh, barriers, if you like. And if you go beyond that barrier, uh, if you say, for instance, your cash flows fall out of bed or if you lose too much money or uh, you do something that, that wasn't agreed on. At the time, because the banks will only lend you money on the basis that you can repay it and they can get their money back, and if you start breaking those what they call covenants, then you're in trouble because the banks can come in and pull the loan out immediately and basically bankrupt the company and the this is a company that's got uh, around eleven billion rands in debt. Uh, And it is a company that was generating profit of about 500, supposedly 500 million rand a year. So it's got a lot of debt, you know, to to generate a lot of profit to to pay off that debt. What happened was in May, uh, the banks then started panicking and they said that you're breaking the covenants. Um, This was after the new chief executive had started uncovering things that they weren't very happy of. On the 27th of May, the chairman of the audit committee resigned. From the board, well, that tells you something as well. And then on the 31st of May, uh, the 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 board really owned up, if you like, fessed up and said, uh, "Our financial statements uh, have not been, are not correct. We they were overstated. Our equity was overstated in the 2018 numbers. That's to March 2018 by between three and a half and four and a half billion rand. Um, That wipes off about 40% of the equity that they stated or that they had in the numbers. And of course suddenly you start realizing that there's something very, very wrong here. Uh, on the 31st of May, um, they, they uh, explained that it wasn't just the financial statements that were for to March 2018 that weren't right. In fact, the interim results that they gave out uh, to September 2018 were also having to be restated. And anything before that, they're going to have to relook at it as well. So, uh, and then on the 10th of June, they suspended the shares until such time as the financial results can be published. And they've said that will not be before the end of October. So if you own Tonga Hewlett shares, not only have you seen them go down by 95% in the last three years, but now you can't trade in them for the next five months. This is about as serious as it gets.
0: It's a terrible situation that shareholders find them in. And, you know, to me, this is now, I would say, the second real corporate scandal around accounting. Now obviously I'm which I'm talking about Steinhoff here. Obviously Steinhoff there was fraud, there was clear malfeasance that was something was going very wrong uh at the at the corporate governance level and um you know we're not saying that the same thing is happening at Tongat um necessarily but to me what it does underscore is problems with the reliability of audited numbers. And again, you know, to me, it's just this, what is happening in the audit profession? Why are we not seeing auditors picking up on problems like this? So certainly, you know, you, as you say, Tonga was making overly optimistic assumptions. There was a lot of room for them to be presenting numbers, not necessarily in a malicious way, but presenting numbers that were not. Uh, accurately reflecting the prospects and situation that the company found them in. And the whole purpose of an audit function is to make sure that that doesn't happen. And yet, again, we just don't see auditors picking up on this. It just, To me, it's really striking. The last, what, five years or so, uh, I think, have just been a complete indictment of auditing.
1: Yeah, Felicity, the, it, it goes down to the very basics of it. The auditors are paid by the company. And if you push the company too hard, they will fire you. So it just doesn't make sense. You can't have a policeman who's policing a particular area of society, but being paid by the members of that society. It just, it's, it's crazy. Um, And this is now finally all coming home to roost. I I feel for the guys at Deloitte because what happened with Steinhoff was not under their watch. There was a audit company in Germany that was colluding with who. Effectively was just writing out fictitious invoices, um, you know, bolstering the profits by saying, oh, we say we sold, uh, we did we did sales which they never did. So it, that was just pure and simple fraud. In this case, the auditors work for Tongart Hewlett Deloitte in in both instances. They then told by Tongard Hewlett Property Division, we're going to sell this the this property. The money is coming in. Etc. cetera, et cetera. And then it doesn't come in in the next year. Oh, well, it's coming in in the next six months or so on. And the accounting principles or the treatment of the uh, of the base of the basics in the financial statements, if you get it wrong in one year and you allow the uh, the numbers to be inflated, then next year you're working off that inflated base. Now, as you know, the power of compound interest also works in any kind of number. And before you know where you are, you look back over 10 years, a mistake that have been might have been done eight years ago in valuation suddenly has become something enormous. And that's exactly what's happened here. The big questions, of course, for Deloitte are was there fraud? It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like fictitious invoices were created. But clearly, PwC are now, as happened with, with Steinoff, PwC went in, uh, did the forensic investigation. They're doing the same thing now. Deloitte auditors, PwC doing the forensic investigation. So they'll have to check, was there fraud? Then the second thing they'll have to check is, was there aggressive accounting? Now, we know there was, because they've already admitted that they've they've overstated their assets by between 3 and, and $4.5 and rands as it's uh, march 2018 and in previous years they say well we're not so sure about those results either so that's the second thing and the third thing is the is something that in amongst all of this we might be missing and that was a perfect storm has hit this company they have uh, on their balance sheet 95 percent of the cash that they have on their balance sheet is actually in zimbabwe and zimbabwe ain't letting them get that cash out so there's uh, more than 200 million dollars So if you look at the Tonga balance sheet and the cash looks pretty good, you know, two and a half billion rand in cash. But actually, that's not it's it's not cash. It's not even near cash. It's money that's stuck in Zimbabwe that you cannot pull out to use anywhere else. Why wasn't that accounted for correctly? There are all these issues. Maybe, maybe what management said to the auditors was, no, well, we can get the money out of Zimbabwe. We, you know, we've got contacts and whatever. We now know that that isn't actually the case. The other thing was the collapse of the property market in KwaZulu-Natal. What the valuations they have on the 25,000 hectares of property that is in the portfolio and is under cane fields is very different when you have a, boom, a booming property market to a collapsed property market. Do you know that they haven't sold a property in Tongrat Hewlett since September 2018, not one property. Now, now, what does that mean? Your real, pro- the real valuation of your property is, and it just goes on and on and on. So, this is a uh, a very complex situation, but it is another situation where we as financial journalists have to realize, as the investment community needs to as well. That you can't believe the narrative. You've got to go beyond the narrative because people within companies always are going to look at things more optimistically. They have, they have incentives in the same way as in, uh, auditors have the incentive of not getting fired by the, the companies, the, the managers have the incentive of their own share options. So we've got to be, uh, we've, we've got to realize where a person comes from, where they speak. They might not be wanting to spin and mislead you. But on the other hand, uh, it's very difficult when you have such a huge vested interest to perhaps be completely open and honest.
0: Yeah, very grim situation all round, And one hopes that, you know, we get some sort of resolution to it. But as you say, we're looking at least October here, which is. Very, very worrying for shareholders. Now, Alex, and on a personal level, you've had a bit of a milestone this week that I wanted to talk about. And that <laughs> is that you have, um, after a lot of very, very, very hard work, you have finished the Cyril Ramaposa audiobook. You're
1: done. Oh, Felicity. It, it's, it's been an incredible journey. When I, started, when, when I first read it, um, Anthony Butler's biography was 10 years old. Uh, and it was just superb. And I, I got hold of him afterwards and did an interview with him on the book and said to him, Anthony, you know, it's it's a magnificent book, but you're 10 years out of date. And now Ramaphosa is about to become perhaps the president of the country. Is it not time to update? And he said, funny you should say that because <laughs> <laughs> obviously he'd be working on it. And the update was finished earlier this year. They sent me the proofs. Of the updated book, we we negotiated with them the uh, audio rights to create an audio book. So for people who find it difficult to read through 450 pages or, uh, or want to maybe consume it a little easier or a little quicker, that's what I've done. That's what an audio book's about, is that you, you read through the book, you uh, voice it. Uh, but as we, as we well know in our industry, when you make a fluff – uh, or if you mispronounce, or if you put the wrong uh, tones in, or in this case, in particular, if you get the uh, the names wrong, and there's some very tricky names for a, a guy <laughs> from from with my background, uh, it it can be quite challenging. So it, it's 22 hours, so it's a big, big book. But it is, uh, a, and I'm so proud of of uh, having completed the project and having done it the hard way. Uh, gone through each each day, each chapter, uh, edited it, knowing that it's there for posterity. I think it's really good. I'm very proud of the work. And uh, you know, we've we've priced it at at uh, 220 rand, which um, works out to around 10 rand an hour that you can listen to. You know, you can't get entertainment at that at that level. And this is more than entertainment. This is it is a story of South Africa. It is a story of the leader um, who who as a I've often said the CV. If you if you look at somebody who's perfect for a particular job, the CV will tell you. And the CV of Ramaphosa, from the day he was born in Western Township, uh, what was called Western Native Township, to growing up in Chavelo in in Soweto as a vendor, which was like a tiny little group that was looked down on and made fun of by other other groupings, to creating a, a a, a national union of mine workers, when all the odds were against, everybody else had tried, no one had been able to create a mine workers union. Then taking them out on strike, which completely changed the whole way that labour relations uh, developed in South Africa, onto becoming the, the the driving force behind the negotiations process at Cordessa. Then going into business and and being hugely successful in that, and then against all odds again. Becoming president of South Africa. I mean, this is this guy's a remarkable. It's an incredible story, and Anthony Butler has done such a wonderful job in articulating it all. It's the kind of thing I just wish every South African would read, and especially those trolls on Twitter and Facebook who uh, who come up with the most ridiculous statements about Ramaphosa, not knowing the foggiest about the man, and and just making all their assumptions without knowing the facts. He's an extraordinary human being and we're blessed to have him. Uh, if you listen to the audio book or read it, if, you, if you're if that way inclined, I think you'll agree.
0: Well, it sounds like something that everybody should definitely be checking out and they can uh, spot all the details up on biznews.com if they're interested. Uh, unfortunately, that is all we have time for. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available on business.com. It's in the premium section. And don't forget, you can sign up for premium. It's just £5 a month, and that gives you access to our original content, including the transcript for this interview, and uh, to the digital archives of our partner, The Wall Street Journal.